Hello, everyone. My name is Andy Summers, and welcome to episode 15 of Reviving the Soul. When men began to multiply on the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis 6, 1-8 Kent Hughes rightly points out that this passage is meant to lay out the ongoing process of human degeneration. And it begins first by demonizing marriage. God's holy gift for procreation and human flourishing is openly mocked in the first few verses of Genesis 6. As one of the key benefits of marriage, sexual pleasure is taken advantage of by the sons of God. Now this is probably one of the most debated texts in the book of Genesis. Who are these sons of God? For the sake of time, I will not go into all the different views on this issue, but I will give you my opinion. I believe that these sons of God are fallen angels who possessed men in order to enjoy sexual satisfaction through them. To be intellectually honest, many of the texts that I draw this from are not explicit, but rather they're implicit. For example, both 1st and 2nd Peter use Noah and the flood as illustrations of how God brings judgment on both men and angels. And in the book of Job, we see that angels are also called sons of God. And also in 2nd Peter 2, while speaking of the wickedness of men in the days of Noah, Peter also writes that the unrighteous will be kept under the punishment for their lust of defiling passions and their hatred for authority, much like the sons of God in Genesis 6. So this is an implication, not necessarily explicitly stated in the scriptures. This view is held by many of the early church fathers, such as Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, and Origen. Whatever actually happened, one thing is very clear. The union of the sons of God and the daughters of men were evil in the sight of God. Now, this may have been an attempt by mankind to gain eternal life through the marriage of supernaturally possessed men, which ultimately resulted in God shortening the average lifespan to 120 years. Now, outside of the demonization of marriage, we also find that violence is idolized. Now, since Cain murdered his brother Abel, the world had only grown more violent. We saw this in the character of Lamech as he gloried in his ability to kill a young man for simply wounding him. And now, the sexual union between the sons of God and the daughters of men produced the Nephilim, which literally means fallen ones. Now, these were the men of old, the men of renown. Numbers 13.33 calls the men of Canaan Nephilim as well, or sometimes it's translated giants. Now, it's important to remember that a genetic link between the two references here is impossible since the flood would have wiped out the Nephilim. Perhaps the Canaanite Nephilim were a result of some kind of genetic breeding. We simply don't know. But we do know that the Israelites described the Canaanite Nephilim as being so tall that the Israelites seemed like grasshoppers to them. Now, if the Canaanite Nephilim were that big and that terrifying, then the Nephilim of Genesis 6 would have been even more fierce and more violent, and these men were both idolized and honored. 
Between the demonization of marriage and the idolization of violence, it is clear that man's depravity is only increasing. We read that the thoughts of man were only evil continually. Hence, God resolved to put an end to the wickedness. Now, we first see that God is grieved. In fact, it says that he regretted making man. Now, we must be very careful here because many people would read regret and think just like we do. We've made a mistake, and so we regret that we did it, or we feel guilty. That is not what is being taught here. We know this because 1 Samuel 15, 29 tells us that God has no regret, for he is not like men. Instead, the purpose of this language and this text is to show us that God is not just some cold observer looking at men and not having any affiliation with them, but rather we see that his heart is filled with pain. Why? Because of what is about to take place. And so God declares his irrevocable judgment. I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, at first, this seems very discouraging, especially in light of the promise that God made in the garden, that a seed would arise from the woman and crush the head of the serpent in order to avenge mankind. For if God is to wipe everything out, how can such a seed come? One may argue that humanity had become so thoroughly wicked that they could not produce such a seed anyway. Thus, it is right for God to cleanse the earth. But God, who is rich in mercy and is faithful in all of his promises, chooses one man to repopulate the newly cleansed planet from which this promised seed would come. The favor of the Lord rested on Noah as God prepared to rescue mankind from the coming judgment. It is important to note that apart from God's grace and his gift of faith to Noah, Noah had done nothing to merit God's grace. It was by God's grace alone that Noah and his family were rescued. It was God's grace alone that gave mankind any sort of hope. And it is by God's grace alone that we too can be saved. If only we would repent and turn our eyes to the Lord's salvation, His Son, and our King, Jesus Christ. Reviving the Soul is available on all listening platforms, including iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and many others. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider giving a donation by clicking on the link in the show notes. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at psalm19revive at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And until next time, apply all of Scripture to all of life.